Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Podcast. My name is Scott Miller. I serve as your host and interviewer each week. You may know also I am the author of the book, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, drawn from our first years of interviews from this podcast. HarperCollins published this book where I took 30 of our first interviewees and shared a transformative insight from each of them. In fact, Master Mentors Volume 2 has just been completed with 30 new mentors drawn from the podcast and 30 new insights available coming this fall from HarperCollins as well. Today's guest, in fact, agreed to be one of the 30 mentors highlighted in our book. His name is Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a nearly 15-year friend of mine and my family's. He is the renowned board-certified psychiatrist. He is the neuroscientist and famed brain imaging expert who is the founder and owner of the nine aiming clinics around the U.S. and has published countless books, including this new book released today called You Happier, The Seven Neuroscience Secrets of Feeling Good Based on Your Brain Type. Dr. Amen, welcome back for your fourth appearance on Leadership. Hi, Scott. So great to see you, my friend. Dr. Amen, you do not need our podcast to help to popularize your message or to publicize your books, but because you've been so gracious to invest in our audience's four separate times over the last three and a half years, I want to just publicly, publicly call you out as a model of what Dr. Covey would have thought about being a transition figure, being a figure that is focused on relationships, your abundance mentality that you would come back for four times on our podcast speaks to your character and to what is your mission in life. For the last few people in far-flung caves that perhaps don't know who you are because they've not read one of your dozens of books, your New York Times bestsellers. You have appeared on PBS's special, how many times, Dr. Amen? 16. 16 times. You've helped to raise how much money for uh, public television? About $110 million. <laughs> That's amazing. I think it speaks to your, to, to not just your philanthropy, but for your mission and passion to help people understand the power of their brains. Daniel Amen, take a few moments and walk us through your history for those who may not be aware of that, and we'll dive right into the new insights in your new book. So I'm one of seven children. Uh, I'm third, which means I'm totally not special. I have an older brother, an older sister, and four younger sisters. So five sisters pray for me. I also have five daughters. And... Um, when 1972, I turned 18, and Vietnam was still going on. And I ended up becoming an infantry medic, where my love of medicine was born. But about a year into that, I realized I didn't like being shot at. Some people are okay with that. I really wasn't on the top of my list of fun things to do. So I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician. It was really important. Our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? 1975, I got out of the Army. I went to college and then medical school. And when I was a second-year medical student, someone I loved tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her, that it would help me. It would ultimately help her children and her grandchildren. So I fell in love with psychiatry 43 years ago, and I've loved it every day since. 
But I fell in love with the only medical specialty that never looks at the organ it treats. And I knew it was wrong and I knew it would change. I just had no idea it'd be part of the change. And over the last 30 years, we've been looking at the brain with a study called SPECT. And it just changed everything in my life. Uh, I realized that most psychiatric issues are not mental health issues at all, but rather they are brain health issues that steal your mind, get your brain right, and your mind will follow. But whenever you do something new, something cool, you get haters. And so a big part of my journey you know, I mean, how do I be happy when I've had people hating on me for 30 years? It's, you know, I focus on the lives of transformation that I've been uh, blessed to help with rather than on the negative noise. Um, so that's a little bit of our history. We now have 10 clinics. Our clinic in Florida just opened this week. And uh, we've seen people from 150 countries, and we now have a database of over 200,000 spec scans. For those of you interested in the location of the clinics, visit amyclinics.com. Many of my friends, parents, colleagues, children, members of our company have been to your clinics for life-saving interventions and insights. Dana, remind me, how many books you've published? Um, I think it's around 40. Um, <laughs> it just means I'm old and I'm consistent. <laughs> and I know many of them are New York Times bestsellers. Your recent book, the new book out today is You Happier, which of course, you know, is a very inspiring read. Who wouldn't want to follow that? One of the compelling statistics I found in the book is the percentage of makeup of where our happiness is derived from. You say that the science shows that 40% of our happiness, or maybe lack of happiness, is grounded in our genetics. That 50% is our habits and mindset, and 10% is perhaps your situation, the situation you're in. Expand on that and why that's so important to know that happiness is derived from different factors. Well, I mean, you know, things run in families. Addiction, anxiety disorders, depression, bipolar disorder, you know, they have genetic components. But what I find particularly inspiring about those statistics, if half of your happiness is your habits, it's how you think, how you behave. And only 10% is what happens to us. Now, that matters. We're coming out, hopefully, of a pandemic that has just devastated so many people. Why I wrote this book at this time is Americans are the unhappiest they have been since the Great Depression. Uh, dramatic rises in depression, anxiety disorders, suicide addictions, domestic violence. And I'm like, guys, we need help. And I'm hoping you happier is the help people need because there's a neuroscience to happiness. And quite honestly, there are a lot of books on happiness, um, but no one's writing about the seven big ideas uh, associated with happiness I talk about in the book. Tina, let's, let's do some level setting. In this book, after your more than three decades as a psychiatrist seeing tens of thousands of patients, some uh, celebrities and, and, and former 
NFL athletes and current athletes and across every genre and people, you know, in my role as well, right? Just professionals that perhaps have issues that of mental health they're trying to conquer or improve their happiness on. You've identified in this book five primary brain types, balanced, spontaneous, persistent, sensitive, and cautious. I'd like to spend some time on each of those as we listen to you think about ourselves, our spouse, our partner, our in-laws, our leader, someone who works for us. Will you take a few moments on each of these? Um, and I'd like you to address them in two fashions. I'd like you to address wh- what it, how does it present itself? How does that brain type present itself first for each of these? And then secondly, if we are in a relationship with someone that has that brain type, what should we know about that in terms of accommodation, compassion, how we behave? The first brain type is balanced. Speak to the description of what it's like to be in a relationship professionally or personally with someone who has a balanced brain type. So based on looking at all of these scans, one of the big first lessons I learned is everybody sort of has a different brain, that there's not one type of depression or one type of addiction. They all have multiple types based on what we see in the brain. And so that's how I develop these five primary types. When you look at combinations, there's actually 16 types. But the first type is balanced. That's where they have a healthy brain. Uh, They tend to be emotionally stable. They're focused. They're flexible. They love relationships. And they're not terribly anxious. If you're with somebody like this or you're working with somebody like this, they're pretty easy to get along with. Um, Now, if you compare that to someone who's spontaneous, they, on their scans, tend to show sleepy frontal lobes. And they're very creative. A lot of my actors and musicians and artists are spontaneous and um, they tend to be creative and um, think out of the box. Uh, But they also have a short attention span and can be easily distracted, a bit disorganized and impulsive. And being in a relationship with them is like super exciting early on, but they wear you out over time because they tend to procrastinate, they don't get things done on time, they may be conflict-seeking, they play this little game called let's have a problem, and it it can be stressful. Now, if we compare that to the persistent brain type, that's actually where there's an area in the front part of their brain called the anterior cingulate gyrus works too hard. Um, they're persistent and they make great accountants. They're detail oriented. They show up when they say they're going to show up. They follow through, but they can also be worried and rigid. And if things don't go their way, they get upset. They tend to be argumentative and oppositional. And if you have them on your team, they're incredibly valuable. I mean, all these types are incredibly valuable. But it's like, no matter what it is you say, they argue with you. So sort of like they wear Teflon. And no matter what you say, it sort of just bounces back at you. It's a nice day today. Oh, no, it was nicer yesterday. And you know these people. Um, 
And in a relationship, it can be really hard because they tend to hold grudges. I mean, they still may be talking about things 15 years later. And then there's the sensitive type, common in therapists. Their emotional brain often works hard. And um, they're deeply empathic, sensitive, often sensitive to the environment, um, and more prone to sadness, negativity, and what I call ants, automatic negative thoughts. And they have a higher ant population than the other types. And when you're with them, they want to be with you. So they have a need for connection. The pandemic was particularly hard on this group. Um, but you have to watch. They're sensitive and they get their feelings hurt easily. So, I mean, I think all of us should watch what we say, but it's even more important with this group. And then type five, the cautious type, uh, their anxiety centers work too hard. Now, let me be clear, some anxiety is important. People with low levels of anxiety die early because of accidents and preventable illnesses. If you're the cautious type, you're, just, you're more anxious than others. You're always early to appointments because you're always thinking about what are the bad things that'll go wrong. Uh, you tend to predict the future with fear. And it's just like your body's just revved a little bit. Your mind is revved a little bit higher. Interestingly, COVID caused more anxiety because I have COVID scans activates the anxiety centers in the brain. Um, if you love these people, um, you don't want to put them in stressful anxiety situations. So the spontaneous person will be, oh, let's go jump out of an airplane. That is misery for the cautious type. Do you know, I've known you for 15 years, so I can ask you this. What's your primary brain type? So I'm balanced with a little uh, sprinkle of the cautious part. I used to be really anxious, but not anymore. I mean, I'm grateful to what I do because that's what I help people with. And what's mine? I would say you're balanced with some spontaneous part. Wouldn't I, surprise me I at all. I thought you would say that because those with spontaneous, they tend to score low on routine, practicality, impulse control, feeling settled. The doctor is in the house. Daniel, you talk about how the brain really is kind of the organ of happiness. For people right now that are resonating with our conversation, they're resonating with trying to make sense of life two years into COVID, hopefully to quote you as well, post-COVID, what do we need to know about the correlation between our brain and our level of happiness? And we'll talk about what to do about it. So nobody knows this. I mean, it's sort of insane when you really think about it. Your brain is the organ of happiness. And when I was writing this book, I did a study seeing if I could find happiness in the brain. And so we took 500 consecutive patients, gave them the Oxford happiness questionnaire, and then we scanned them. And then we looked at the people who had high happiness, and low happiness or sadness. And people who had low happiness had lower function 
in the front part of their brain. It was very clear. This is why you should never let a child hit a soccer ball with their head. And why I'm not a big fan of letting kids play tackle football or engage in high-risk sports that increase the risk of concussion. Uh, as you know, I did the big NFL study at a time when the NFL was struggling with the truth about traumatic brain injury in football. And I have 300 NFL players. They have four times the level of depression as the general population. You go like, why is that? They're like incredibly successful people because they have brain damage. And so if you want to be happy, you have to work to get your brain healthy. And brain health is basically three big things. Brain envy, you got to care about it. Nobody cares about their brain because you can't see it. When I saw my brain, I'm like, oh, this is healthy. I need to get this better. Um, so brain envy, avoid things that hurt it. You just have to know the list. Alcohol is not a health food. Marijuana is not good for your brain. Um, being overweight, not sleeping, having a bad diet, having an unhealthy gut, all of those things I talk about in the book hurt your brain. So brain envy, avoid bad things, do good things like new learning. So I love being on your podcast and listening to your podcast because it's always learning something new uh, is incredible. Saunas are actually great for the brain. Nutrients, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so if you work to have a better brain, you are going to be happier. Daniel, I've been a follower of yours. We became friends first professionally and then personally. I've written extensively about you in my weekly blog, in my column in Inc. Magazine, in Master Mentors. I've learned a tremendous amount from you about you know, a variety of exercises and habits and how to eat more healthy. In fact, in Master Mentors, I write, going to lunch with Dr. Amen is like going to mass with the Pope. You have to be really on your game because not only is he watching what you eat, so is everybody else in the restaurant. But I think of all the things that I've learned from you as a dad, as a, Stephanie and I are, as you know, are raising, you've met our sons that are now, can you believe, doctors seven, nine, and 11, is the, I know, right? <laughs> I need a therapist just for these three boys that, as you know, all have my personality. So you'll see us soon in your clinic. Uh, I've learned the impact of undiagnosed brain injuries of how many of your patients come to you in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they've either got a couple of bankruptcies or seven jobs or a couple of marriages or they have some trauma in their life. And as you and your, you know, your clinics begin to unwind their history, you find a remarkable pattern in undiagnosed, perhaps early childhood brain traumas. Will you take a, as long as you'd like and speak to everyone who is listening and watching about how important it is to protect your brain, because as you've taught me, your brain is like you know, the size of your fist and it's more like jello and tofu inside this sharp skull, kind of a, you know, a bit of a misnomer there. Talk about the correlation between depression and happiness and stability and brain injury. So undiagnosed brain injuries are a major cause of anxiety disorders, depression, suicide, ADHD, addictions, and homelessness. It's actually a study from Toronto 
that showed 58% of the homeless men, 42% of the homeless women had a significant brain injury before they were homeless. Your brain controls everything you do, how you think, how you feel, how you act, how you get along with other people. It's the consistency, as you said, of soft butter, tofu, custard, somewhere between egg whites and jello. And it's housed in a really hard skull that has sharp bony ridges. A major cause of psychiatric issues that no one knows about is traumatic brain injuries because most psychiatrists never look at the brain. And I didn't know about it. But when I started looking at the brain and you could clearly see evidence of a traumatic brain injury, you're like, when did you have a brain injury? And often people would say, I didn't. And then I realized I had to ask them like 10 times. It's like, are you sure? Have you ever fallen out of a tree or off a fence or dove into a shallow pool? And so many people, after I nudge them, they go, oh, I fell out of a second story window when I was seven, or I fell out of a moving car. I fell off uh, a moving truck, I was in the back. And no one ever correlated that to the depression they felt. I saw somebody recently, and when they were six months old, or I guess, uh, let me use this example, because Miley Cyrus became public, uh, that I've been her doctor for about 11 years, and I adore her. Um, and the first time I saw her, I saw evidence of traumatic brain injury on her scan. She was in the room with her mother. And I'm like, Miley, have you ever had a brain injury? And she said, no. And then, you know, I do what I usually do. I'm like, are you sure? Have you ever fallen out of a tree or off a fence? Or and her mother started to cry. And she said, Miley, you don't know this. And all of a sudden, Miley's eyes get really big. She said, when you were a small child, your father put you uh, on a, in a backpack and got on his motorcycle and went riding into a forest. And he saw a tree that had fallen over, but he thought he could get his bike underneath oh, the tree. And uh, he, um, as he bent down to get under the tree on his motorcycle, he forgot you were on his back and your head crushed into the tree and you were unconscious for about 30 minutes and we thought you were dead. Oh my goodness. Do you think that could explain some of her early struggles, uh, that she had really bad temper um, when she was a child? through no fault of her own. And I have her scans like 10 years apart and her brain has just gotten consistently better as she has fallen in love with her brain. And nobody knows that too. Um, it's, it's weird, I just had this fight with NPR because they wrote a story about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE. And they basically said, I say I can cure it. And then all the haters came out. And I'm like, I never said that. CTE is an autopsy diagnosis, right? I'm like, 
but I can treat traumatic brain injury and I can help you get better like Miley and the hundreds of NFL players I've seen and the thousands of sort of normal everyday people we see. Um, and it's just frustrating because they were basically arguing for despair, like there's no hope. And our work argues for hope that you are not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better. And I can prove it, you know, whether it's in Miley or our NFL players or the thousands of people we see at Amen Clinics. Uh, I'm rather unpopular in my home with my three sons, as you can imagine, because I have um, eliminated <laughs> a whole variety of sports because of my relationship with you and my knowledge of that and my belief in what you are saying. I think my favorite line in your book is when you write, you are not your mind. It kind of just jumped out at me. Riff on that. Well, one of the important strategies in the book is master your mind and gain psychological distance from the noise in your head. I was 28 years old before I learned I didn't have to believe every stupid thing I think. <laughs> I remember being in class during my psychiatric residency and a professor said that, and I'm like, no way. Thoughts lie, they lie a lot, and it's our uninvestigated thoughts that make us sad, mad, nervous, and out of control. And one of the new techniques in the book, I don't think you and I have talked about it yet, is give your mind a name so that you can just separate from it. And when I learned this technique, I'm like, so what name would I give my mind? And it came to me right away. Uh, I had a pet raccoon when I was 16 years old, loved her, but she was a troublemaker. She TP'd my mother's bathroom. She ate all the fish out of my sister's aquarium. She'd leave raccoon poo around the house. Uh, it's just like my mind is a troublemaker. You know, it'll just like hold up signs. You're a fool, you're a failure, you're an idiot. You know, why are people picking on you? And so I named my mind Hermie. That was the raccoon's name. And every once in a while, I just sort of check in on her. And most of the time she's, you know, playing in the water or sleeping in her cage. But uh, this is such a helpful technique just to separate yourself. I adopted, I'm not sure I told you, but I adopted our two nieces. Their parents uh, struggled with addiction. And, you know, at one point I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work and we can provide a better home for them. And you know, as you can imagine, the 17-year-old can get some negative thoughts. And she developed a Department of Homeland Security in her head. And she actually hired Denzel Washington from The Equalizer, right, in her imagination, um, or Sylvester Stallone and Rocky, to be the bouncers, uh, to not let things come in the country of her mind that are not good for her. And I just love that. The, you know, all of us have weird, crazy, stupid, sexual, violent thoughts that nobody should ever hear. And there's nowhere in school where people teach you to manage your mind. And 
this be a great course for Franklin Covey on how to manage your mind because a business's best asset is the brain health and mental health of their employees. You know, it's ironic that your pet raccoon did that. My pet raccoon did the same thing. I'm kidding. No one has a pet raccoon, Dr. Amy. That might have been your problem. Let's talk about the difference between <laughs> talk about the difference between wanting and liking and how that impacts our level of happiness. Well, they're actually different systems in the brain. Wanting is big, liking not quite so much. But I just want you to think of going to Vegas or Atlantic City and watching the people at slot machines. Like hour after hour, they're putting coins in and pulling the handle. They want to do that, but they don't necessarily like it. They don't look happy, for sure. Or I go to my mom's... uh, for Christmas and, you know, I want like eight slices of the pizza she makes, but I don't like how I feel at all. There are actually different systems in the brain. It's an area of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. I know it's a big scientific word, but it responds to dopamine. And this is why hedonism is the enemy of happiness because we want to do these things, but it wears out the pleasure centers and we actually don't like doing them. And I think if you think of most drug addicts, I alluded to that earlier, um, is they want their fix. They hate their lives because of how out of control they've become and the people they've hurt. Daniel, I was reading your book recently and I read it to my wife, Stephanie, who you know and we've dined with before. And I said to her, Well, here's the interesting thought from Daniel, and you mentioned this earlier, that conflict-seeking behaviors is actually very common with uh, people with untreated ADD. Um, I've been accused on occasion of, you know, seeking conflict. I tend to masquerade it as, yes, I like to seek conflict because I like peace. I like to resolve issues and surface them, and that perhaps is my cover story. But for those of us who have Scott Millers in their life, or who literally have Scott Miller in their life, What insight would you share around the correlation between conflict-seeking and perhaps some untreated, if not brain injury, ADD or ADHD or something like that? Well, that's why optimizing, (coughs) sorry, that's why optimizing your brain can help your relationships so much. I wrote a book called Healing ADD, and in it I talk about the games ADD people play because they have sleepy frontal lobes. And they have no idea that they're doing it. They don't wake up and plan to make their mother mad at them or their spouse unhappy. It's Pavlovian or it's Mm -hmm. unconscious. Their unconscious mind realizes when I get you to fight with me, I actually feel more alert. I actually feel better. And so treating their ADD tends to dissipate that conflict-seeking or excitement-seeking behavior. I discovered this actually very early after imaging. I was treating a woman who, and I was seeing her like a couple of times a week because she was sort of chronically suicidal. And she would start every session with the most violent way she was going to kill herself. And I was always anxious. And then when I saw her scan and she had sleepy frontal lobes, 
Um, and I don't recommend most therapists do this, but I looked at her and I'm like, you need to stop that. You're no more going to kill yourself than I am. You do this as a way to get me upset. And she like was taken back. I said, you know, you're no more going to kill yourself than I am because you have five children and you know, if you kill yourself, you've just increased their risk of killing themselves 300%. And we began to explore all the ways she would think of the worst possible thing or get her husband or her children upset as a stimulant. So it was sort of worth like five milligrams of Ritalin to her. Daniel, independent of the five main brain types and how each of them can you know, explore and achieve happiness, as we end our conversation, are there some general things that you think all of us can do universally as humans, whether we have anxiety or depression or whether we're medicated or under the perhaps care of a physician or we're just stressed because life is stressful as a parent and a spouse and an employee and an entrepreneur and having gone through the the carnage that is COVID, what are some things you could tell us as a medical doctor that all of us could begin doing today to perhaps naturally increase our happiness? Well, the book, You Happier, is actually centered around seven big ideas and seven questions. So know your brain type and then ask yourself, what makes me uniquely happy every day? And it's different for everyone. Um, get your brain right and your mind will follow. So the question, is this good for my brain or bad for it? The third is supplement your unique brain and things like multiple vitamins, omega-3 fatty acids. And my favorite, uh, saffron has been found in 24 randomized controlled trials to increase your mood. So I love saffron. Four is only love food that loves you back. You're in a relationship with food. Um, five, we talked about master your mind. Six is notice what you like about other people more than what you don't. So if in a conflict-seeking way you notice the problems in your marriage, you're going to have more problems. If you notice what you love about her and what she does right, you're going to have more love in your life. And seven is so important. It's live each day based on clearly defined values, purpose, and goals. And most people, like all great businesses, like here at Amon Clinics, we have a business plan. Uh, we actually have a beautiful one-page strategic plan. Most people don't do that for their lives. And we help them do it in a balanced way. What do you want for your brain? What do you want for your mind? What do you want for your relationships? What do you want for your soul? Because as you know, I'm a huge believer in the spiritual circle and getting people in touch with why they're on the planet. What is your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Um, so the question to ask yourself every day is, you know, once you develop those things, does it fit? Does my behavior fit the goals I have for my life? And then some other simple things start every day with today is going to be a great day and every day with what went well today. And one of my favorite things is look for the micro moments of happiness. What's the smallest thing that happened um, that just made you happy? 
Daniel, your book is You Happier, The Seven Neuroscience Secrets of Feeling Good Based on Your Brain Type. You mentioned in that series Saffron, and I understand from your team that as you launch the book now, there's also uh, a gift that people who um, join in the, in the initiative. Uh, talk about that. Well, for people who either pre-order the book or order it the first week, um, they go to youhappier.com, submit their receipt, uh, like from Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or Walmart or wherever. Um, we'll give you four free gifts, including a free bottle of Happy Saffron, which is double the value of the book. Um, we'll also give you, let you be part of our 30-day happiness challenge, which has been shown to increase happiness by 30%. The workbook that goes along with the challenge and Tana, my wife, has written a brand new cookbook called You Happier, Food That Loves You Back. Daniel, thank you again. Such a generous investment in our global audience. You've come on four times as just generally a gift to everybody. Uh, what's next for you? Well, uh, I'm so hopeful that the pandemic will wind down because it just hurts so many people. And I'm working on a daily brain devotional, like 366 short essays. I decided to put sort of my greatest hits into one book in bite-sized chunks. So I'm excited about that. We have our 10th clinic in Florida. Last year, the Canadian Association of Nuclear Medicine, a prestigious scientific body, really endorsed my work. So we're going to probably open five more clinics around the United States in the next couple of years. Absolutely amazing. Daniel Amen, thank you for joining us. Your book is You Happier out right now. We look forward to your fifth appearance on Leadership. If you'll have us someday, thank you again for your investment in us. Thanks, Scott. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.